It can be scary when you think about how much of our so-called personal and confidential information is actually accessible in so many places and by so many different people and organizations. You need to learn what's being done with this information and how to keep yourself secure. Welcome to My Connected Life with Tyler Cohen Wood. When you're in control of your data in cyberspace, you feel all the more secure. Now, here's your host, Tyler Cohen Wood. Hi, this is Tyler Cohen-Wood. Welcome to episode two of My Connected Life. I am so excited about this episode. We are going to talk about the dark web, and I'm sure you guys have a lot of questions. What is the dark web? Um, Can I use a credit card on it? Should I go on it? What's sold there? What isn't? Why is it so hard to catch criminals? All kinds of questions. We're going to discuss this. I have three incredible experts with me today. Uh, First, I would like to introduce Scott Schober. Scott Schober is the president and CEO of Berkeley Electronics, Veritronic Systems. Um, He is a New Jersey-based provider of advanced world-class wireless test and security solutions. He is also the author of Cybersecurity is Everybody's Business, Hacked Again, and Senior Cyber. Um, Scott is often seen on ABC News, Bloomberg TV, Al Jazeera, America, CBS, This Morning News, CNN, and a lot of other uh, other channels. And Scott is also the chief media commentator for Cybersecurity Ventures and a senior advisor for Cyberlytica. Now we're going to get to Bob. Uh, Bob Schiff has an extensive leadership experience accelerating growth and profitability in emerging technologies. He's the CEO of Cyberlytica, Inc., a dark web cybercrime intelligence company. Bob has also held numerous positions. Um, He has sold multiple companies. Um, He has also been featured on the Wall Street Journal and CNN and other numerous numerous media outlets. Now we've got Ken Muir. Um, Ken is a CISO. Uh, CSC, a lot of very good uh, good accreditations. He's the global advisory board member at LCM Security Inc. He's an information technology leader, keynote presenter, research contributor, and he has he-, he has helped design solutions and training for NIST, CIS, and PCI audits, vulnerabilities, and assessments. Welcome to the show, Scott. Ken and Bob, I am just so excited about this topic. Um, <clears throat> let's start with let's start with Scott. The dark web, what is it? Well, the dark web is the internet's underbelly. I like to refer to it as, and, and it's a spot where, unfortunately, a lot of cyber criminals like to lurk. It, it represents probably about sixty plus percent of illicit activity takes place on the dark web. And maybe just in in very simple terms, it's an area that can be used that's unindexed by common search engines such as as Google and other things like that. So it's hard to find the site. You need to know the very specific address to enter to have access to that site. And cyber criminals will work in the dark web and they could remain anonymous. It allows them to conduct their criminal empire, buying and selling stolen credentials or credit cards, drugs, whatever it is that they would like to do, and have a level of anonymity 
and I think that's really the 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 benefit of it for them. They can't get caught easily, and I'm sure we'll, we'll delve into it a little bit more and uh, get more detail. But that's a kind of in a, in a very simple nutshell what the dark web is, and it, it also requires some specific access so you can get into the dark web, and that's what's important to realize something called the Tor and the Onion Router, so you can have access to this specific area. Absolutely. So. For, for all the listeners, there's no, you can't go to Google and just find where, where these sites are. You have to know them. It's kind of like you have to have sort of a keyword to get into the cool party. <clears throat> um, right. Ken, can, can you? Oh, yeah, please, please, Bob, continue. Thoughts, comments, which are great comments. The other thing to note is that these URLs that Scott just referred to aren't like Google.com. There's typically 15, 16 alphanumeric very funky characters, um, impossible to remember. Um, so unless you know where you're going, you're not going to find it. I, I mean, so they, they, they've really got to know. And I, I know that a lot of these marketplaces where you can buy and sell these, these types of goods, um, a lot of them disappear very quickly. So if you want to get back into one, find another room, you have to know the marketplaces. How hard is it to actually find those new marketplaces? Very hard. It, they're very hard to find. Typically, they're published on chat forums where these markets might be. And that's how most of the bad guys are finding the marketplaces. Because as you just said, Tyler, they come and go quick. They could be up today, gone tomorrow. They could be up now, gone in 15 minutes. Um, so unless you know exactly where you're going, you're not going to find it. And as I mentioned, it's all typically it's chat rooms where most of the bad guys are finding, you know, these URLs. Chat rooms. I kind of think of like old, um, old uh, ICQ or AOL, but it's, AOL. it's not yeah. like that <laughs> at all. Um, Very similar, though, in, in concept, I think. And, and I think it's interesting when I first started going on the dark web a few years ago, it took a little while to understand how to navigate because things were a little clunky. Um, but and of course, I would use an alias and some other things, dedicated computer and some, some basic precautions, a VPN and things. So I didn't have problems with malware and other things that are out there. But you kind of become part of the community. Once they accept you and believe that you're actually a cyber criminal, they will then allow you into some of these different chat forms. Some are open, some are protected, and some you have to kind of carefully navigate and pretend you're a bad guy. When I did that, I found that suddenly I had access to a whole trove of everything and anything under the sun that I could certainly buy, or I could even put up items that I want to sell. So to me, that kind of scared me um, once you can get into the community, understand the inner workings, how you can start to navigate. But to, to really to Bob's point and to what you were saying is it, it's not easy because it keeps bouncing around. And sometimes they will tell you, hey, this site's being moved to another site. And then sometimes you have to use a dark web search or a torch or some of these other uh, programs that are Google-like search engines, but for the dark web that will help you find your way through this mess. Exactly. Wow. And, and, and I mean, so... So, so you have, so when you buy and sell things, I think it's important to also note that you're not just going in and using credit cards. You're actually, maybe you're actually buying other people's credit cards, but cryptocurrency is the name of the game in the dark web. Is it not? Absolutely. Yeah. You can't, can't buy anything without crypto. 
um, interesting enough, you know, crypto became so popular lately over the last you know year or two and pretty good investment for a lot of people. Um, and I'm getting all kinds of calls from people that just bought crypto saying, hey, I just bought crypto. What else can I do with it? What's this stock web thing that you, know, you always talk about? So even some of the good guys that don't know what they're doing um, are thinking about checking out the dark web, which I highly recommend them not to do. Yes. I, I, I know Ken has some pretty, pretty strong thoughts on that too. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I mean, the, the irony with the dark web was it wasn't intended for the purpose that we're describing today. Um, but as always with everything, you know, there's always two sides to how you can use anything <clears throat> at all. Like it had, uh, the, the, the intentions of it originally were to really help, uh, you know, people that didn't really have an ability to express themselves in a way that would not be monitored by maybe their governments around the world and, uh, you know, being able to get access to information, uh, just general information that we're used to getting access to every single day. A lot of people around the world don't have that, that privilege. And so that was really the intent of it uh, originally. But, you know, as with everything, you can take anything and turn it into something else so that's what we're really seeing on the dark web and that's really the publicity that we get around that and the crypt the, the idea with using the crypto is it provides so much anonymity for the people that are actually selling and buying on the dark web that uh, it's almost impossible to to track them and, <clears throat> and to make it worse bitcoin obviously was the the driver for all of this but there are other coins that are now coming into play now that uh, have things like, you know, there's Monero, for instance, it's uh, a privacy coin, just completely anonymous in terms of the people that are using it uh, from start to finish. So it, it's constantly evolving as well, I think is what we're also noticing in so many different aspects. Wow, thank you. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, Bob almost gave me a heart attack not too long ago. <clears throat> <laughs> and this was because <laughs> shouldn't do that to someone with health problems, Bob. <laughs> Bob, Bob told me some things that he had found on the dark web because what his business does is they work with corporate clients to find if their information is on the dark web. And that can be intellectual property, that can be um, usernames and passwords, credit cards, anything that um you think of in the dark web it's there but you want to tell me a little bit about um you found voter registration databases and that's not even the scariest no we found not just one voter registration base database but about 28 of them believe it or not 28 states voter databases were on sale that we found and picked up uh, and had verified that they were truly the real the real thing um, so that was a little scary, but I think the scariest thing was one of my analysts came up to me and said, listen, hey, Bob, I just found, it was like a Friday afternoon. She comes up to me and says, I just found this this database and it says Gmail on it. I don't know what it is. Should I open it? So we opened it together and what we saw was 1.2 billion, with a B, billion Gmail usernames and passwords. Uh, 1.2 billion Gmail usernames and passwords. Yeah. And to see it is shocking. You know, to go down, first of all, it takes you know a long time to, to scroll through it. Um, as, I, as I scroll through it, I go, oh my God, this is like crazy. So we literally called Google. Um, 
there an email message, an email to their security department saying, hey, this is out there, it's floating around, you need to know about it and notify your, you know, your users. I'm not sure if they really did that, you know, if they did anything, we never heard back, but we, you know, we destroyed the database. But to see a database of 1.2 billion names, in fact, I called Scott and I was afraid to say, Scott, I just found something, you know, what do I do with it? And he was like, delete it. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Um, that's probably because it has our emails on there too. I, I was going to, that's exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> what I was going to say. All right, Bob. Now, now the now the big reveal here. Did you find your name, uh, your Google account on there? I did, and it was the right password. That's what what was the password? Uh, password. The, best, yeah, the password was password one two three. With an exclamation mark, just to really right, right, make it right. tough. Right, for, yeah, for, yeah. For, for all <laughs> listeners, don't please don't ever use that as your password. Bob was joking, but it's already taken anyway by half the population of the world. You know, I was going to say the thing that I found was really uh, staggering about it was the fact that all of these passwords are actually in the clear. Because a lot of times when we get, you know, responses back from the dark web searches, they're, they're hashed, even though a lot of them are, you know, using really old uh, uh, hashing algorithms that are crackable, because uh, I present that as well as, as, as an issue. It might look like it's hashed, but if you're using something that's really weak, it can be decrypted very, uh, very easily. But the fact that these were all in the clear is astonishing. Right. So, so what that essentially what that boils down to is you could see the username and the password in the clear. Now, I have another big question here. Did you find my stuff in there? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. Hold it. <laughs> did you find you a drum roll? Did, did you find Scott's drum roll? Well, of course I did. It was packed again. (laughs) (laughs) Can can I add in, Tyler? I think one thing that's really powerful for listeners to realize, when when our information is compromised, such as this this huge breach, there's not a whole lot that we can do ourselves personally or as a company. However, there are some things that we can do to be proactive. And, and I've had the privilege of, of working with, with Cyberlytica and, and I'll actually get an email from Bob and his team because they'll actually crawl the dark web. And if they see that my login credentials, my email address and, and, and uh, information is compromised, I'll actually get an alert and a report. And what that allows me to do is correlate it to an actual site that I have login to. So say it's uh, my information's compromised associated to LinkedIn. What do I do? I instantly go on LinkedIn and I will change my login credentials and I will put in a new long and strong password. And, and I think that's one of the most important takeaways that we can get from all of this. If you don't have a service that is actively scanning and looking to see if your information's compromised, you may not find out about it until it's too late. So I think it's really effective when, when you use a service like what Cyberlytica offers, and there are other companies too, that are actively scanning the dark web to alert you, you can take action and you can be proactive. And it does make a difference. Thank yeah, you and so also much. The use, Thank you for okay. that, Scott. Yeah. Also the use of like a password vault, mm-hmm. uh, something that's going to help you to, to create unique passwords because... There's so many examples, it's overwhelming the amount of examples of where people are using the same credentials over and over and over. And so you crack one account and you can crack many accounts. 
Uh, and that's one of the reasons why people are being compromised from a personal perspective. So you really need sort of a password manager uh, to help you with that. I have over 200 accounts. Because that's the other thing, too, is I had no idea how many accounts I had either. You know, until I started putting them in there, I was like, wow, this I've got like two. There's no way you can remember that many passwords. Every and trading variations is not a good idea either. No, no, it's it's almost impossible. Um, so, Bob, we've just heard that that in perusing for something else, um, his company found voter registration databases and 1.2 billion hacked Google accounts. Um, if we're we're taking calls, if anyone wants to call in, uh, the number toll free is one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. And if you're international out of the United States, that is 001-480-398-1394. Wow, that's a lot of numbers. So, <laughs> so, so also, w- would you say that another way, so if you, so we've, we've established, Scott, thank you for that, that you want to have some type of monitoring service to see if your information is out there on the dark web. Because we do not recommend that you go on the dark web. Um, so having something like Cyberlytica, having a credit monitoring service, I think all of the credit bureaus actually offer a service where they will do searches in the dark web because you don't want your information there and you don't want your information being sold because the consequences of that can lead to a lot of problems. It can affect your business because if someone now has your account, they see everything that you're doing. And because everything is connected, um, they also can have access to those other connection points. Good, good point, Tyler. And also what we found is that 85% of, the, of people use the same password over and over and over again for everything. And I think the number is like 90% of millennials uses one password for everything. So. You know, that's, you know, that's super scary. Um, so, you know, they, they never were told in college to change passwords. So, you know, they, they haven't really done that. Um, yeah, Sorry, go ahead, Bob. You know, go ahead, Ken. No, I was going to say a real life example of something like that was uh, what we had here in Canada earlier on this year. We had the uh, uh, um, Canada Revenue Agency uh, accounts were hacked earlier on this year this is the uh, equivalent of the irs in uh, the us and it was literally based on credential stuffing you know these guys they found exactly what you found you know usernames and uh, email addresses and passwords and they just you know put them in that script they run it across the digital universe and they they uh, they came up with a hit on the revenue agency and they just hacked into like tens of thousands of accounts um, you know, another, another, another lesson from that really is that it wasn't requiring multi-factor authentication of any kind. So once you were in, you were in. There was no other challenges. So that's another area that you really need to uh, concern yourself with as well is not just keeping up with the passwords, but also having a second factor of authentication. Yeah. Or and even brings- a third. <laughs> yeah, and even a third. That's right. One of the things that we found couple years back was Dropbox was breached and so was Box for that matter. So all the information that we put in Dropbox over the last several years that we thought was secure is not secure. Uh, well, it wasn't secure. Hopefully it's changed by now, but even Box and, and Dropbox were breached and, and 
everyone puts information in there because I think it's private. It can't be hacked. It was hacked. I, I think also just to add, I think it's important for each person and for listeners to, to do their research, do their homework before they kind of invest in somebody else that's protecting your security. And what do I mean by that? I, I have my credit frozen with the three major credit monitoring companies. Uh, they too offer monitoring services for, for different price tiers and this and that. Uh, however, my personal opinion, when I look at something like Equifax, I was the recipient of having my information breached with the Equifax data breach a while back. Do I feel comfortable paying a company that kind of was holding my information private that got out to the public? Do I want to now pay them to alert me? You know, you have to make the personal decision. For myself, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to reward a company that couldn't manage my information. In a sense, I didn't even know they had my personal information. But these companies are entrusted with our personal information, and they, they failed. That's a concern for me. And I think all consumers and business owners do need to do their research and their homework before they're willing to pay for a service. Uh, and again, I'm not knocking their service. Is it beneficial? I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is. It just it leaves a bad taste in my mouth when they, they failed the first time. They failed the job. They were supposed to keep that information private. And now they're charging money to let me know if my information is floating around on the dark web. I absolutely love that point because it seemed like for a while there was there was uh, pe- people were so inundated with your credit cards have been compromised or this hack, this hack, this hack. But I've noticed a very significant sh- shift where people are now very concerned about protecting their privacy and their identity. And, you know, having a service that you trust is incredibly important. So I'm really glad that 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 you made that point because you've got to do these things to really protect yourself and your family. And I just want to go back quickly to one of Ken's points um, where he said um, also using multi-factor authentication. So a lot of the services that you use um, will take social media, for example, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Facebook, they have the ability for you to use multi-factor authentication. And what that means is you're identifying yourself to that system um, with two different ways, either something you have, something you are, something you know. So what it will look like is um, you type in your password, that's something you know, and they may send a text message to your phone with a code you type in. So that's authenticating you twice. Um, or it could be an email. And if you wanted to get really crazy in there, you could add a fingerprint because then that's something that you are. And when you're doing this, that is incredibly important. In fact, any service that you use, always use the highest security settings possible. And that goes back to what Scott was mentioning earlier about doing your research with whoever you're going to deal with. That should be a part of it as well is to make sure that they even have that as a capability. There's some new products and products that have been around for multi-factor. Um, you know, biometrics is always a good way to go. Tyler, you mentioned, you know, text message. I mean, definitely use them, you know, please use them because it is such a big problem today. Well, because the more layers of security you add, the harder it is for you to be compromised. Yeah, the only caveat to all I think is really the 
the idea of using your phone number as part of that authentication because, you know, people get a hold of your phone number and it's, there's many, many cases where, you, you know, your phone can get hijacked uh, with your phone number to be used as that uh, authentication. So, you know, using uh, authentication apps or other things like biometrics uh, that was mentioned earlier, like those, those would be the preferred ways. I think it falls in line with your highest level of uh, security settings that you can get would those would fall into that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only thing I add to that is just the, the balance. I've noticed some people when, if it, if you push for the highest level of security for some people, they quickly back off and do nothing because it's overwhelming to them and, and it's better to do something than nothing. So even if you do something, maybe a level down and say, okay, just have a text me a, a, a one-time code to my phone. In my opinion, that's better than doing nothing and saying, oh, well, it's too complicated, what have you. But we should always strive for more security. And I think some of these companies are now starting to uh, bake it in and push it and educate its users because now they're getting sensitive to it. I, I think even look at the, the recent revelations of the, the pivot that Facebook is doing with data privacy and, and security and kind of their user base is a little bit concerned where they are right now, and of course, where they're going. And I think that, that that's a bigger conversation that we're all part of. And we have to all look at our personal privacy and security as something very important before we start using a particular product or technology, because it is a trade. We're always gaining something. Maybe it's the application or the use of it. And we're trading in oftentimes our privacy and our, and our personal information for that. So that's something that we should investigate right when we're signing up for whatever it is, we're going to use whatever platform. Yeah. One, one point that Scott, you just brought up about Facebook, you know, Facebook was breached. Uh, multiple the times. Most recent breach, multiple yeah, times. Multiple, yeah. But the most recent breach was basically, well, conversations that you had. So all these private conversations that you had with your friends, well, they're now exposed. And what's happening there, it's really cause, it's causing a big problem. Um, because some of these conversations were private and, you know, now it's, you know, watch what you say on any platform, including text messages, because you never know who's going to get a hold of it. That, that, that is a really good point because a lot of times people say, well, I mean, I don't have anything to lose, but that is not true. And, and, and I know from, from, from watch from a lot of different stories that that is absolutely not true. You, you do have a lot to lose. And I think also understanding the, the hierarchy of technology companies, I talk to a lot of friends and they'll say, I would never use Facebook. It's not secure. I don't like it, so on and so forth. And then I say, oh, okay, that's interesting. Do you use Instagram? Well, of course. Well, that's secure. Or I use WhatsApp. Well, that's secure. And I say, well, who owns Instagram and WhatsApp? Oh, I don't know. So th there, there's a little bit of fuzz in the world not realizing it's all part of this big giant Facebook that has access to all of that data or metadata and hence the name of this new variant of Facebook's name, I guess, meta. So we have to be careful. And again, do the research, read a little bit about it and understand what information you're allowing them to have access to. And, and you really agree to that, that. The terms and conditions when you download via Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, or any of these, we're giving away something. And when we do that and we allow them to have access to our information, it could be used against us. 
I think that, the uh, message from all of this is do your research. Also, the privacy statements, because a lot of times, well, no one really reads privacy statements. But if you actually read them, they actually tell you in a privacy statement that they're actually, you know, they have your passwords and and monitoring the conversations. So, again, read. no one does it, but you should do it. Read these privacy um, policies for these companies because I think you'd be quite, you know, quite surprised at what, you know, what they what they're keeping and seeing. That is that is great. Um, we are about to go on a break. Um, but before we go again, if you have questions, comments, call us toll free one 472 5788 or international 001 480 one three nine four. Join us when we get when we come back. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to My Connected Life with Tyler Cohen Wood. To reach the show during the live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Tyler at TylerCohenWood.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I am your host of My Connected Life, Tyler Cohen Wood. Uh, we are talking about the dark web, and we, we want to go into some other really interesting things that, that you found, Bob, um, you know, while, while, while doing this work. And you know, you had mentioned that you had found voter databases. What yeah. what what does that look like, and, and and what what do you what happens with that information? Because apparent if it's on the dark web, it's on the dark web. Once it's on, you can't get it off. Number one, and you know when you actually see it, it's, it's basically it's kind of crude looking. To be perfectly honest, with the person's name, address, phone number, are they Democrat or Republican? Um, and just lines and lines and lines and lines of, um, you know, information. But in some states like Georgia, um, and that was one of the databases we found, if you just change one digit to someone's address, that person is disqualified from voting. So when they go to vote and 
to go to match up the address with their license or passport, um, they can actually be rejected. So it's a big deal. It could really change elections around. Wow. Just out of curiosity, how, how much was, does something like that sell for? It wasn't expensive. They were selling, they were selling them in, in packages by states. And I think a 10-state package was like under $100. Wow. Millions of records. So aside from, from manipulating data, um, you know, there were, all, were there credentials to get into the database? There were, yes, there were. There were credentials to get in. And of course, that was exposed as well. So, yeah, so manipulation of data is definitely something that would be possible if someone were to hack in and, 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 and make some of those changes, but also you've got user credentials. That's, I, I mean, I know there's a lot of really scary things out there on the dark web, things that I don't even want to go into, but, but, but this is kind of scary. It is. It, it, it really is. Um, again, security is very lax, you know, by these states. Um, it's always been a problem. Um, but I got to tell you what, what we found, which I think is the biggest problem um, that we found on the dark web, and the reason why we're having so much ransomware today is that malware is for sale on the dark web. And you can buy a virus for literally $10 on, a, on the dark web, and you send it out to whomever. And what happens is, it, can you see me? And what, hap- what happens is um, um, you, the person that created the virus will split the proceeds with you. So it's like a 50-50 split. It's almost like a distributorship. You sign up for distributorship, they give you the virus, you send it out, they collect the money, and then it's, it's a, and Bitcoin, and it's a 50-50 split or a 60-40 split. To me, that's the most frightening thing because of the malware issues and ransomware issues that we have today. That's one of the main causes. And the support services that they have to help you with this whole thing that's set up as well is uh, really scary because if you're not very technical or don't really understand this stuff but really want to set up your own little enterprise... They have it all uh, ready for you. Yeah, it's ransomware so, as a service. So, so if I ra- ransomware as a service, exactly. Um, what is ransomware as a service? When 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 you buy the package, what what are you buying? You can think of that, about it as you have an expert that knows how to give you a particular strain of ransomware. He could give you a list of uh, target entities that you want to actually uh, focus the attack on. And they handhold you through the entire process, how you can actually negotiate and, and demand a certain amount of ransom in a particular vertical, a particular sector. So they may say, hey, if you're targeting a hospital, an emergency room, you can demand this much to get the uh, uh, ransom paid and you hold those de- decryption keys there. So they really handheld, handhold and educate a cyber criminal a newbie to the industry. And that's the part I think that's so concerning. You could know nothing. And in a very short period of time, they can handhold you through the process. And really, they just split the profits. They have a, they have a certain amount that they take for each successful ransomware um, person that you get the ransom paid out. And they help you if they don't pay the ransom what to do, if you're going to do a double extort or a quadruple extort and exfiltrate the data and hold that hostage and put it out publicly, what it is. So there's a lots of different techniques that they use, but all of that's tied often into ransomware as a service, where it's a partnership between a cyber criminal 
organization, a cyber gang, and an individual that's trying to get into the business there, and they're they're learning the ropes. You know, I yeah. wonder just how extensive. So, so if if I were say if I were to say, you know what, I'm going to attack Scott because I'm jealous that his lights look a lot cooler than mine do. So. <laughs> I go they on the dark cool. web. <laughs> they are really cool. I go on the dark web and um, I could probably purchase his account information for, for various accounts. Um, I could probably purchase information about him. Like maybe there's health records out there. I know that health records sell for like fourteen hundred. Um, I could piece compile a very, very accurate way of targeting Scott. And it may be through through his family. It may be through something else and, you know, create a social engineering, a phishing scam or something that would would really work because the amount of information that is collected, I could put together a very easy profile on you. And I'm sure that there's some form of AI that's actually that actually can help you know, sort through all of that stuff too, to determine what you'd be more likely to fall for. Which brings me to a point, which is a great point, is that that's, that is actually being sold. So I can buy every piece of information that's out there about Scott, his name, his wife's name, his maiden name, his address, his kid's name, social security uh, number, where he works for under $1,000. Everything about him. Well, even, even his dog, dog's name? I'm not sure about that. It's possible. <laughs> you, could get, you could get my dog's name probably too. And I think the interesting part is, and, and, it, and it kind of parlays nicely into the name of your show, how well our lives are all connected. Yes. So in other words, part of the problem is that Scott's not just a business owner, but he goes home to his house or a summer house and I'm connected into my devices. And now you have other conduits to actually access somebody's life and find out their whereabouts, their metadata through not just their mobile phone, but their Nest thermostats and their smart refrigerators and their smart cars. So if we look forward thinking where we are today in the future, you could start to see all this compromised information is not just our name and password that's on the dark web, but also IP addresses of some of our connected devices. If somebody wants to turn on a camera and spy on us or all other scary things that we see out of movies, these things are becoming a reality now and everything has a price on it. And that's the part that I think should be concerning to us all. So make sure we, we talked about, make sure we do the research ahead of time. We should do the same thing before we plug in and connect into anything. We should do our research and make sure that it's properly secured and if it does have a floor of vulnerability that could be exploited, that we could provide a security patch to it in the future. If there's no way to upgrade that or improve security, we may not want to use that and plug into it. Right. I'm yeah, so there. glad that, that, that you brought that up because, you know, when you're using IoT devices and, you know, an IoT device is, is something like um, your your Echo or your, your Alexa or... Um, your car, your phone, you know, to, to, again, you know, make sure that you're changing default passwords if you have that ability and make sure you're getting regular updates on those devices. But that's for another show. We'll have you back for that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, there's sites like showdan.io, actually, you can go on there and it, it already has a complete listing of cameras around the world that just use defaults. Um, you can log into any one of them and, you know, 
study the pattern of life for people and the IP address will give you the geolocation of where that person lives. Uh, you know, again, to the point where you can sort of start building a dossier on somebody. <clears throat> All that information is uh, is already out there in, in different ways. Uh, one of the things I, I read recently was, you know, to go along with the inventiveness of the way these criminal gangs work is they, for companies where they may be having issues trying to get malware into them, uh, they go actually looking for disgruntled employees and then offer to share the, the reward with them. So, and you can find those disgruntled employees everywhere on the web, right? For these oh, yeah. companies. That'll link it, pick up the conversations. It's a, that's a really good point. It's a real problem inside yeah, of Yeah, it is. I, I often thought about, you know, somebody may be retiring thinking it would be a really good nest egg for themselves as well. You know, may not be disgruntled, but go off into the sunset, a rich person. Yeah, and they're also selling the company assets. I mean, yeah. you know, we've picked conversations where, a disgruntled employee was selling the company IP, their company actual IP. Um, yep. I mean, that's how serious it really could be. Yeah, it, it is. And and I think that there's a miscon there, there can be a misconception that the dark web is just for selling guns, drugs, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's also for selling your data, your medical records, your company's information, your social media information, everything about about you um, is something that can be sold on the dark web. Ransomware. I mean, is there anything that isn't on the dark web? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much everything. And I, I saw one time it was very interesting. It was a woman's complete package. And when I say complete package, it was every single account that she had access to online, her bank account, her security challenge questions, her mother's maiden name, social security number, the list went on and on. The part that blew me away was part of that package was the PDF front and back of her physical bank statement. Somebody took a picture or scanned it. And you could see this and download it for free just as a, a kind of a fresh compromise to prove that this database they were charging a fortune for had a complete profile about anybody that you wanted to buy and you would pay thousands of dollars, but you had access to every single thing about that person. So they did all their work putting those puzzle pieces, as you said mm -hmm. before, together. And that that's a that's a serious concern when you're trying to target an individual and ruin their life. It's it's really scary. People taking mortgages out with other people's yeah. names, have all their financial information. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. You know, someone I know, actually. Yeah, that, that I, happened I, to I, myself even with our company. When we got compromised, we had $65,000 taken out of our checking account. It was a federal investigation. And I demanded to find out where did the money that went out of our account go to. And, and one of the particular accounts was a woman that made a final payment on her mortgage, uh, thanks to our company. I and mean, we got the money back and everything else, but learning where the stream of money flows is really scary. Yeah. And, and for, for attacks like that, I mean, I, I personally recommend a non-technical solution. Uh, was this a business email compromise attack? Uh, with ours, no. It was a combination oh. of a targeted <laughs> attack that went through the bank targeting us. So it was another level of, of complexity where actually tellers were impersonated. There was a combination of wire transfer, fraud, and account manipulation in the, in the bigger scheme of things. So it was very complex from a 
an investigative and forensic standpoint when you delve in and find out how advanced some of these attacks are. And, and what I learned is it's not usually just one person they're targeting, one company, when a bank is compromised, they're hitting multiple groups or, or companies once they get inside and infiltrate the bank. So that way they can maximize and take out as much money as they can before they now launder it and, and disappear. And it's all done through the dark web. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Would you say, I was thinking about this uh, last night. I had a thought. I was thinking how many percent, how, how many hacked cases do you think have involved the dark web in some capacity, whether it was the information was bought to break in on the dark web or if a company was has been broken into, the exfiltrated information is now on the dark web. I mean, I I came up with just some random statistic just based on, on my experience, and I would say that number is really high. Yeah. I yeah, would I, say I probably in the 90s. High. Yeah, because think about it. How much information has been compromised? If you just ask the average American, do you have a Gmail email address or a Yahoo email address? And they say yes and yes. Guess what? You're talking billions and billions of accounts that are compromised. So if that in any way is associated to a data breach or compromise or hack, which is pretty much yes, then yeah, it's, it's high in the 90s, I would say, unless you live off the grid or don't use email or don't use the internet, then you're, you're probably at risk. Yeah, the, the number we- Is that even possible? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know the question is, is there anybody left to hack? Yeah. When, you're, when your compromised records are in the billions, it's almost the equivalent of yes. the entire the population number- of the planet. Yeah, we, 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 did a, we did a study and we found out that 22, there's 22 billion pieces of information that's being sold that we know of on the talk web. Staggering. Staggering. I mean, it's really scary, but, but, but I'm glad we've had this discussion because, you know, we, we, we've discussed some things that people can do to help protect themselves. And, you know, I'll reiterate some of of what was said. Um, And please jump in if you'd like to add um, anything You want to make sure that any of your devices, you're not using just the default passwords. Um, You want to use the highest privacy settings that you can possibly use. Um, You want to use multi-factor authentication. Um, I think, Scott, you had some other ones too. Yeah, I think it was mentioned, a point well taken, um, use a password manager, password vault that Ken shared. I think that is is very important. Not reusing the same password across multiple logins. I'll throw in there also, since we're a wireless company, we always talk about Wi-Fi. Don't use free open Wi-Fi hotspots at the hotel, the event you're staying, the resort. Um, That's another whole conversation, but they are very prone to man-in-the-middle attacks and and being used to place malware on your your smartphone or other things like that and have your information compromised. Uh, The list goes on and on. But And the other thing I think in the whole conversation, don't go on the dark web unless you have a reason to go on the dark web because you actually open yourself up to attacks and having your information, your location, your privacy, malware downloaded. So there's a lot of things that unsuspectingly you will receive if you go on the dark web or the wrong specific site on the dark web. So caution should go out there as well. I just want to make one, one note of that to that point, Scott. 
and we made we made the same point before. If you are going to go on talk web, first of all, don't go on. But if you do, you're most likely going to use Tor, which is the most famous or the best known browser. But use a good VPN. In other words, there are free VPNs out there. Um, and free, and free is, is always, as Scott said before, nothing is really free. Um, so if you're going to use a VPN, use a good one. Nord VPN is a good one. There's a bunch of them, but don't use any free v- VPNs. And to Scott's point, don't go on. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. I think one of the one of the big things that people need to really do <clears throat> is the reason why they're getting uh, compromised so much. And this is also with businesses is people aren't really patching. Like mm-hmm. you could, you have to take all these other precautions, but your patching needs to be always up to date. Like don't ignore the Windows update when it says I need to reboot your machine. You really need to reboot your machine because <clears throat> what we're trying to put together are a list of things that will help to reduce your risks when when you know when you're doing your day to day stuff every day. Nobody's saying that there's a silver bullet that you can implement and, you know, you're all safe, but really the exercise is in risk reduction. Don't use the same passwords and all the things that Scott mentioned and, you know, patching your systems and doing your research, I think, is the message. That's that's a huge mes- uh, huge message that there are things that you can actually do to keep yourself safe and to protect yourself. Um, one of them being don't go on the dark web. <laughs> I'm just curious I think we have just a few minutes left but what does it look like I know that's a crazy question but what does it actually look like like do they if you're going to look for um, for drugs um, do they have all like pictures of the drugs and and yeah. yeah yeah it's actually very well it's improved it's it's kind of like it reminds me of the early days of the 90s going onto the web where things loaded a little slow, some of the pictures and texts were a little off. And that's, I think, a lot of the dark web sites. They don't, they're not polished. Uh, they're getting better, though. They, they are looking better, but they do. If you're looking for a handgun, they will show you the handgun and the price, um, methods to pay. Um, they, they'll even have funny notes, I noticed, by some of the sellers that, you know, a hundred percent success guaranteed or your money back and other things that make you feel comfortable as if you're doing a normal online purchase, but you're buying a handgun or some other crazy illicit thing. So it's convincing, but for the average online shopper, you'll notice it's a little bit different and uh, most everybody's using an alias. So they're not saying it's John Smith, you know, it's, you know, big monster or something like that, or some other strange name that, that they're a play on words or something. So you don't really make the connection to who you're buying from or what they're selling fully. And, and to that point too, I mean, to your point, Tyler, the dark net is part of the internet. So it looks exactly like our internet. There's nothing that that's, you know, it doesn't look any different. Um, and to Scott's point also, um, there's a lot of sites that don't look that great, but there are some sites that look just like Amazon. And you mm-hmm. shop your drugs, your guns, your whatever it might be. And you go to checkout, just like you would with Amazon. You put your address in. Not a smart thing. But you put your address in. And you pay by Bitcoin. And it's FedEx to you the next day. So it works exactly like our internet. Just uglier. That is so interesting. What it, and, and so it's kind of weird because it's, it's kind of like a, it's a black market. But you actually get what you purchased 
Like they, yeah. they're probably quite reliable in 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 the purchases, and it's probably probably not too many scams going on. Yeah, no, actually, what these vendors do, or what they have, is rating systems. So if you buy something and you're not happy with it, they're going to do one of two things: either they're going to give you a new product, drugs, or whatever it might be, or they'll refund you the money because they don't want them to get a bad rap. Um, and like Amazon, like an Amazon type site, you're rating them, you know, like a one to five rating. And if you see someone has a two rating or a one rating or zero rating, you're probably not going to go shopping there. Yeah, I think oh, what, one yeah. of the bigger problems is that oftentimes the site or the, the paywall, the online ordering system, that's often targeted by scammers and hackers because they want to steal the Bitcoins, the digital ID of the wallet, so on and so forth. So sometimes it may not be the actual seller that is a scammer, but another third party hacker that's getting in between it, trying to really compromise those Bitcoins. And you see that very often. And and that's part of the mess, making it very uh, iffy if you're going to have a successful transaction. Wow. So Yelp for the dark web. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That'll be another show. Yeah. <laughs> so, so again, we're 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 not we're we're not completely helpless. We there are things that we can do. We we've, we've discussed those things to really keep ourselves protected, and to know if our information is on the dark web and what we can do about it. I should point out too, for, from the surface web, there's about 4.5 billion websites that we can actively go on that are, for the most part, much safer as comparison to about two-tenths of a percent of the dark web websites, where they estimate about 60% of those are illicit, illegal, and other things going on. So if you look at that small percentage, why do you want to seek out that small percentage of high risk and danger when there's so much other good things that there are that are safer on the general surface web that you can do on the internet. So I think just refocusing our efforts and staying away from areas that are really bad. And maybe we liken it to going to a city. You don't go on the part, you know, those streets that are questionable. You try to avoid those and go to the nicer area and you can still enjoy the city. Same thing like the internet. Well, Thank you guys so much. We're coming up to the end of end of the hour. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for joining. Um, I learned a lot too. I still am completely shocked about the voter databases that you found, the 1.2 billion Google addresses. And I, I, I can't wait to have you guys on the show again so we can hear even more. So thank you guys for, for, for joining um, thank you for being such great guests and please join us next week where we're ta- going to talk about internet scams. We're going to have two FBI agents and they're going to tell some of the worst horror stories that they've seen so that you can protect yourself. This is Tyler Cohen Wood, My Connected Life. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in this week to My Connected Life. We have much more for you next Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be careful with your data and your life.